Section 7 of Rough and Ready, or Life Among the New York Newsboys, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 13, Rose and Her Enemy. James Martin waited at the Fulton Ferry for the return of his emissary, but he had to wait a long time, as the lodgings occupied by Miss Manning and Little Rose were rather more than a mile distant, and their progress was somewhat delayed by their stopping to listen to a little Italian boy and his sister, who were singing near the head of Fulton Street. Then there was a difficulty in crossing Broadway, on account of the stream of vehicles. Owing to these causes, it was an hour and a quarter before the messenger returned. James Martin had about made up his mind that the boy had given up the quest, and was starting away in vexation and disappointment, just as he appeared in sight. "'Well, you've been gone long enough,' he said roughly. "'Why didn't you stay all night?' "'I came as quick as I could. It's a long ways,' said the boy. "'Then they stopped two or three times.' "'Did you find out where they lived?' asked Martin eagerly. "'Yes, I followed him clear to the door. Where is it?' "'Where's the half-dollar you promised me?' said the boy with commendable caution. "'I'll give it to you when you've told me where it is. I want it first. "'Do you think I won't give it to you?' demanded Martin angrily. "'Maybe you will, and maybe you won't. I never saw you before.' "'I'll give you the money as soon as you tell me. "'It's number 125 Center Street. "'All right, my lad. I'll pay you when I get ready as long as you've made such a fuss about it.' "'Well,' said the boy coolly, "'I guess you won't make any more money out of it than I do.' "'Why not?' asked Martin suspiciously. "'Because I've told you the wrong street and number. "'Is that so?' If you don't believe it, go to 125 Center Street and see if you can find them. You're a young rascal, said Martin, angry at being foiled. Maybe I am, but I don't mean to be cheated by you or any other man. I've a good mind to give you a thrashing. You'd better if you want to sleep in the station house tonight, returned the boy, not in the least alarmed. So, you were going to tell me the wrong place and take my money, were you? No, if you'd given me the money, I'd have told you right afterwards. "'Well, here's your money,' said Martin, taking out fifty cents. "'I want seventy-five cents now. "'What for? "'Because you tried to cheat me. "'Then I won't give you anything. "'All right, then you must find out for yourself where they live. "'Come, boy, don't be foolish. "'Here's your fifty cents. "'Keep it yourself till there's twenty-five more.'" Further effort proving unavailing, James Martin recalled the boy, who had already started to go, and very unwillingly complied with his demand. Well, said the boy, depositing the money carefully in his pocket, now I'll tell you, it's number Franklin Street, near the North River. Are you telling me the truth, asked Martin suspiciously, for he would never have thought of this quarter. Yes, it's the truth. If you don't believe it, you can go and see for yourself. Franklin Street, repeated Martin to himself. Perhaps it's true. The boy's a deep one. He thought I wouldn't find him out there. Perhaps he'll find himself mistaken. I'd like to see him when he finds the girl gone. James Martin, not relying wholly on the boy's information, determined to go round and find the place indicated, and see if he couldn't ascertain definitely whether it was correct. If so, he would lay his plans accordingly. Following up this determination, twenty minutes later found him standing in front of the house. But he could not, without inquiring, obtain the desired information, and this he hardly liked to do, lest it should be reported to Rough and Ready, and so put him on his guard. He stood undecided what to do, but chance favored him. While he was considering, he saw the newsboy himself come up the street and enter the house, with a loaf of bread under his arm. He was just returning from a bakery nearby, and the bread was to form a part of the supper to which all three brought excellent appetites. 
James Martin crouched back in a doorway in order to escape observation, at the same time pulling his hat over his eyes. The precaution, however, proved unnecessary, for the newsboy never looked across the street and was far enough from suspecting the danger that menaced the little household. He was thinking rather of the nice supper, a little better than usual, which was being prepared in honor of the holiday, and thinking how much more pleasantly they were situated than in the room at Leonard Street on the other side of the city. It's all right, muttered Martin to himself with satisfaction. The boy told me the truth, and I don't mind the seventy-five cents. As long as I've found out where they live, they'll find I ain't so easily fooled as I might be. A day or two will tell the story. He had learned all he wished to know and walked back to Broadway, where it is unnecessary to follow him. The next day, Rose and Miss Manning were sitting together in the neat little room to which both had become attached. Miss Manning was sewing as usual. Rose was sitting on a stool at her feet, with her eyes fixed on a small reading book. "'I think I know my lesson, Miss Manning,' she said at last, raising her eyes. "'Very well, Rose. I am ready to hear you.' The seamstress laid down her work, and Rose, standing by her side, read the lesson to her without a mistake. "'Didn't I say it well, Miss Manning?' she asked proudly. "'Yes, Rose. You are doing famously. I am quite proud of my pupil.' "'I shall soon get through my book.' then rufie will have to buy me another i have no doubt he will be very glad to do so rose he is very anxious that you should get along fast isn't he a good boy miss manning yes he's a very kind considerate brother i like it so much better than when i lived with mr martin do you think i shall ever see him again miss manning i cannot tell rose i hope not for i do not think you would be happy with him he used to drink rum and it made him so cross i used to be afraid of him rum ruins a great many people rose "'I don't see how anybody can like it,' said the little girl. "'Once father—I mean Mr. Martin—brought some home in a bottle, "'and when he was out, I thought I would just taste a little. "'Oh, Rose, only a very little, a tiny spoonful, to see how it tasted. "'But it was so strong and tasted so bad I could not swallow it. "'I don't see how anybody can like it.' "'Yes, Rose, it does seem strange, "'but I'm going to ask you to go on a little errand for me.' "'I should like to go,' said the little girl, jumping up. "'What is it, Miss Manning?' I need a spool of cotton. You know the little store around the corner? Lindsay's? Yes. I should like to have you go there and buy me another spool, the same number as this. I will give you the spool so you can show it to the man behind the counter. Yes, Miss Manning. Here are ten cents. You can bring me back the change. If you want to, you can stop at the candy shop and buy a stick of candy out of what is left. Oh, thank you, Miss Manning. Shan't I buy you a stick, too? No, Rose. I have got over my love for candy. "'Didn't you used to like it when you were a little girl?' "'Yes, Rose, but now make haste, for I have only a needle full of cotton left, "'and I want to finish this work tonight if I can.' "'Rose put on her bonnet and went downstairs, "'proud of the commission with which she was entrusted. "'She was actually going shopping, just as grown women do, "'and this gave her a feeling of dignity "'which made her carry her little form with unusual erectness. "'She little suspected that the danger which her brother and herself most dreaded "'lay in wait for her in the street beneath.' that she was about to be torn from the pleasant home which she had begun to enjoy so much. Nor did Miss Manning suspect to what peril she was exposing her young charge, and what grief she was unconsciously laying up for Rufus and herself. James Martin was lurking near the house, and had been lounging about there for three or four hours. He had notified his employer in the morning that he had business in New York, and should be unable to work that day. He had also given notice to his landlady that he expected to bring his daughter home that night, and he wanted her to prepare accommodations for her. With the design of procuring her, he had come over and repaired to Franklin Street, 
but rose and miss manning seldom stirred out in the morning and he had watched and waited in vain until now he had made several visits to a neighboring groggery and indulged in potations which helped to while away the time but he was getting very impatient when to his great joy he saw rose come out upon the sidewalk and alone which was better still he had made up his mind to claim her even if she were accompanied by miss manning but this might excite a disturbance and he knew there would be danger of interference from the police which he did not court so he considered it a remarkable stroke of good luck when he saw rose coming out alone there she is he said to himself i'll soon nab her but I wonder where she is going. He might have seized her at once, but he thought it best not to do so. Very likely there might be somebody who might witness the seizure, who would know that she was living with Miss Manning, and might be inclined to interfere. He thought it would be better to follow her a little distance, and effect the capture in another locality. Rose pursued her way, unconscious of the danger that menaced her. She entered the store, made her purchase, and it wasn't till she had gone a little away from the store that she felt a heavy hand upon her shoulder, and, looking round to her indescribable dismay and terror, recognized her stepfather. Chapter 14. Rose Kidnapped. So I've found you at last, said James Martin, looking grimly at Rose, bending over so that the fumes of his breath, tainted with liquor, seemed to scorch her innocent cheek. Let me go, said Rose, terrified and ready to cry let you go repeated martin with a sneer is that all the welcome you've got for me after i've taken the pains to come clear over from brooklyn to find you no i can't let you go i'm your father and you must go with me i can't indeed i can't said rose in distress i want to stay with rufie and miss manning i can't allow it i am your father and i'm responsible for you your brother ain't fit to have charge of you come along he seized her by the shoulder and began to push her along i don't want to go said rose crying i don't want to leave rufie i don't care what you want said martin roughly you've got to come with me anyhow as for your brother i don't want him he'd be trying to kidnap you again i might have put him in prison for it but i'll let him go this time if you don't make any fuss what's the matter asked the policeman who came up as rose was struggling weakly in the grasp of her stepfather why are you pulling along the little girl for because she won't come without said martin she ran away from home with her brother a few weeks ago and i've just found her is she your child yes is that true asked the policeman not particularly prepossessed in martin's favor by his personal appearance his face being unusually inflamed by his morning potations his question was of course directed to rose no i ain't his child now said rose rufie has the care of me and who is rufie he is my brother he's a young rascal said martin up to all sorts of mischief he'll lie and steal and anything else that's bad he ain't fit to have charge of rose it isn't true said the little girl indignantly he doesn't lie nor steal he's the best boy that ever lived i haven't anything to do with that said the policeman the question is is this your father he was my mother's husband said rose reluctantly then he is your stepfather don't let him take me away said rose imploringly if he's your stepfather i can't stop him but hark you my man i advise you to be kind to the little girl if you are not i hope she'll run away from you you look as if you'd been drinking pretty hard this morning it's the trouble i've had about her that made me drink said martin apologetically i was afraid she wasn't taken good care of come along now rose he says you must go let me go and speak to miss manning first entreated rose i've got a spool of cotton i've just bought for her i'm not such a fool as that said martin i've looked for you long enough and now i've got you i mean to hold on to you but miss manning won't know where i am pleaded rose 
It's none of her business where you are. She ain't no relation of yours. But she's been very kind to me. She was kind enough to keep you away from me. She hasn't anything to do with you, and I don't mean she shall ever see you again. Poor Rose, the thought that she was to be forever separated from her kind friend, Miss Manning, smote her with a sharp sorrow, and she began to cry bitterly. Stop your whimpering, said Martin roughly, or I'll give you something to cry about. But even with this threat hanging over her, Rose could not check the flow of her tears. Those persons whom they met looked with sympathy at the pretty little girl, who was roughly pulled along by the red-faced, rough-looking man, and more than one would have been glad to interfere if he had felt authorized to do so. James Martin did not relish the public attention drawn to them by Rose's tears, for he knew instinctively that the sympathy would be with her and not with himself. As soon as possible, he got the child on board a horse-car bound for the South Ferry. This was something of an improvement, for he was no longer obliged to drag her along, but even in the cars her tears continued to flow. "'What's the matter with your little girl?' asked a kind, motherly-looking woman, who had a daughter at home about Rose's age, and whose sympathies were therefore more readily excited by the appearance of distress in the child's face. "'She's been behaving badly, ma'am,' said Martin. "'She doesn't look like a bad child,' said the good woman kindly. "'You can't tell by her looks,' said Martin. "'Maybe you'd think, to look at her, that she was one of the best children out, but she's very troublesome.' "'I'm sorry to hear that. You should try to be good, my dear,' said the woman gently. Rose didn't reply, but continued to shed tears. "'She's got a brother that's a regular bad one,' continued Mr. Martin. "'He's a little scamp if there ever was one. Would you believe it, ma'am? He induced his sister to run away from home some weeks ago, and ever since I've been hunting all around to find her.' "'Is it possible?' exclaimed the other, interested. "'Where did you find her, if I may be allowed to ask?' "'In a low place in the western part of the city,' said Martin. "'It wasn't a fit place for a child like her. "'Her brother carried her away from a good home just out of spite "'because he got angry with me.' "'It must have made you feel very anxious.' "'Yes,' said Mr. Martin pathetically. "'It worried me so I couldn't sleep nights. "'I've been hunting night and day for her ever since, "'but it's only today that I got track of her.' She's crying now because she didn't want to leave the woman her brother placed her with. I'm sorry to hear it. My dear, you will be better off at home than among strangers. Don't you think you will? No, I shan't, said Rose. Miss Manning was a good woman and was very kind to me. She isn't old enough to judge, said Martin, shrugging his shoulders. No, of course not. Where do you live? In Brooklyn. Well, good-bye. I get out here. Good-bye, ma'am. I hope you won't have so much trouble with your children as I have. I am sure your little girl will be better when she gets home. I hope so, ma'am. Rose did not speak. She was too much distressed, and child as she was, she had an instinctive feeling that her stepfather was false and hypocritical, and she did not feel spirit enough to contradict his assertions about herself and Rufus. At length they reached the ferry and embarked on the ferry boat. Rose no longer tried to get away. In the first place, she was now so far away from home that she would not have known her way back. Besides, she saw that Mr. Martin was determined to carry her with him, and that resistance would be quite useless, so, in silent misery, she submitted herself to what it seemed impossible to escape. They got into the cars on the other side, and the trip passed without incident. "'We get out here,' said Mr. Martin, when they had been riding about half an hour. Rose meekly obeyed his summons and followed him out of the car. "'Now, young lady,' said Mr. Martin sternly, "'I am going to give you a piece of advice. Are you listening?' "'Yes,' said Rose dispiritedly. "'Then you had better give up sniveling at once. "'It ain't going to do you any good. "'Maybe if you behave well, I'll let your brother see you after a while. "'But if you kick up a fuss, you'll never see him again in the world. "'Do you understand?' 
Yes. I hope you do. Anyway, you'd better. I live over here now. I've took board for you and myself in the house of a woman that's got a girl about as big as you. If you ain't foolish, you'll have a good time playing with her. I want to see Rufie, moaned Rose. Well, you can't, and the sooner you make up your mind to that, the better. Here we are. He opened the front door of the shabby boarding house and said to the servant whom he met in the entry, Where's Mrs. Waters? I'll call her directly if you'd like to see her. Yes, I want to see her. Mrs. Waters shortly appeared, her face red with heat from the kitchen. I've brought my little girl along as I told you, said Martin. So this is your little girl, is it? She's a nice child, said Mrs. Waters, rather surprised to find that a man of Mr. Martin's unpromising exterior had so attractive a child. No, she isn't, said Martin, shaking his head. She's very badly behaved. I've let her stay in New York with some relations, and she didn't want to come back and see father. She's been making a great fuss about it. She'll feel better tomorrow, said Mrs. Waters. How old is she? Seven years old. Just the age of my Fanny. You said you could let her occupy the same bed with your little girl. Yes, they can sleep together. Fanny will like to have a girl of her own age to play with. Wait a minute, I'll call her. Fanny Waters was a short, dumpy little girl of extreme plainness. Rose looked at her, but didn't appear to feel much attracted. You can go out into the backyard together and play, said Mrs. Waters. Only mind and don't get into any mischief. Wait a minute, said Mr. Martin, calling Rose aside. I want to speak to her a minute. If, he continued addressing the child, you try to run away, I'll go over to New York and shoot your brother through the head with a pistol, so mind what you're about. Rose listened in silent terror, for she thought her stepfather might really do as he threatened, and it had a greater effect upon her than if he had threatened harm to herself. James Martin witnessed with satisfaction the effect produced in the pale, scared face of the child, and he said to himself, I don't think she'll run away in a hurry. End of section 7. Recording by Tori Falder.